0: start a, a short series going through the book of Colossians, and we will do this morning's theme will be somewhat of an overview or a, 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 a higher perspective, just kind of looking down from up top as to what the theme of the book is, and then some basic principles that go along with that theme, and then starting next week, we will dive into the um, Just verse by verse, walking through it. Is anybody cold? Is everybody? Is anybody not cold? Maybe we have have two, not three, not cold, four, not cold. Okay. If we can turn that, maybe is it (laughs) one? It's beautiful. All right. So we have some not cold. One, it's beautiful, and many that are cold. So I feel a little bit cold, and usually I'm not. So I just. It just, and I also looked out and saw several people going like that. I thought, well, maybe we just need to acknowledge that we're we're a little bit cold this morning. Um, so let's go ahead and get started in Colossians. And, and again, we're going to look at several passages of scripture. I wanted to start off by uh, talking a little bit about what a mystery is. I don't know if uh, any of you are like me, but I'm a sucker for a good mystery movie. Uh, my favorite movies, if I ever go on a website to look up a movie, I'm always looking up for the, the thriller section. I, I want a movie that's going to hold my attention till the very end, and uh, those, are, those are my favorite kind of movies. And, you know, my, my family always knows that a, a movie was good when uh, I am completely engulfed in it, and I don't know what's going to happen even when the end comes and something, there's a twist of some kind, and that twist just grabs my attention, and that's the the best kind of movie. I'm also known in my family as one who will not watch a movie twice, and so if there is a, a movie that I watched twice, you know that it was something that was very, very special to me. So for me, that idea of mystery, something that kind of carries your 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 imagination, your uh, keeps you on the edge of your seat until the very end of the movie is important to me, and and uh, and that is why I think I enjoy the Word of God. And the Word of God is is full of mystery. It, it is um, it is packed full of mysteries, and the Book of Colossians is in essence the unfolding of a mystery. And so, when you think about mysteries. The Bible is very clear that not just a few books of the Bible are mysteries, but the whole of the Bible is a mystery. The New Testament is referred to as a mystery. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture. You have these on your notes, so you don't have to write them down, but you can look them up when you get home. Matthew 13 and verse 11, the Lord uh, says that the, the mystery of the kingdom is only given to a specific group of people, and the mystery of the kingdom is the mystery of the New Testament. In Romans 11, the Bible tells us that we should not be ignorant of the mysteries of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1 tells us that we are stewards of these mysteries. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 tells us that the resurrection is a mystery. Ephesians 1, 9 tells us that God's will is a mystery. Ephesians six nineteen tells us that the gospel is a mystery. 1 Timothy three sixteen tells us that godliness is a is a mystery. And the book of Revelation as a whole tells us that the end times are a mystery. So it's all a mystery. It's all meant to keep our attention, to keep us on the edge of our seats, to keep us pressing for more, keep us studying and, and, uh, and looking at the details and trying to get more of what is there. That's what a mystery does. And if you watch it a second time, it's because you didn't get all of the details of the first. One of the movies that has completely baffled me, I don't know if you like movies, but the movie Tenet. Anybody have watched the movie? It's like Tenet, Ten and Ten Backwards. It's And if you've watched that movie, but I cannot understand that movie. I, I've watched it several times and it still doesn't click in my mind. It's like, how does all that happen and if it doesn't have a logical explanation, then I don't want to watch it. And so it doesn't fit into my mind. I don't comprehend it or understand it. It's a mystery to me. And so is the Word of God. The Word of God is a mystery. It's the unfolding of a mystery, but it is a mystery. This term is used all throughout the New Testament, as I mentioned to you earlier. It simply means hidden things things that are secret or not obvious to someone's understanding. The Webster's Dictionary defines it as something that is not understood or something that is beyond understanding or something that is beyond our ability to understand or comprehend. The Bible defines it in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 and says it this way, The natural man does not accept the things that are of the Spirit of God, For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the natural man is is not able to understand the things that are of the Spirit of God. It's impossible for them to understand because they are mysteries to them. The spiritual things are mysteries to the carnal mind. The spiritual things are mysteries to the natural mind. This is why someone can pick up the Word of God and open it and, under, and 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 read it, to not understand any of the truths that are there that are that are within the Word of God. This is how somebody can pick up the Word of God and have it not impact their life. There'll be no change. There'll be no conviction. There'll be no understanding of what they have read, because the Word of God is a mystery, and it's meant to be. A mystery. The Bible tells us back in Matthew 13 that the word of God is only understood by those whom the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and their minds to hearing and understanding. I will submit to you as we heard in Romans 11 that it's not okay that the word of God remains a mystery. It's not okay that the word of God remains a mystery. We must understand it. We must comprehend it. And we must submit to it. And therefore, we must go on a journey, a pursuit of understanding something that is beyond our ability to understand. And when we pursue something that's beyond our ability to understand or comprehend, or we pursue something that's beyond our own strength, we must pursue it in the strength of another, right? We must depend upon the understanding of another. We must depend upon the wisdom of another, but it never takes away from the fact that we pursue it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, understanding that it is the power of God in us that enables us to understand the Word of God. So we can't sit back and say, well, you know, God has to reveal it to me. God has to open my mind to it. God has to open my heart to it. Listen to me, that's all true, However, God never opens up anyone's mind or heart or eyes that's not pursuing it already with all their heart. Yes, you can't attain to it. Yes, you can't arrive at it. But God will enable you and strengthen you and empower you to accomplish the things that you're unable to accomplish on your own when you pursue those things. It's not when you're sitting back in the pews on Sundays and saying, well, I'm going to wait for the brick to fall out of the sky and hit me in the head, because it's not going to happen. It's when you're pursuing God's will, you're pursuing God's will on the basis of God's Spirit giving you understanding and enlightenment that you will come to understand the Word of God. The Bible is is a book full of mysteries, hidden truths and secrets that are being exposed and explained, and these mysteries are only understood in the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26 says it this way, these mysteries are hidden for ages and generations, but are now being revealed to the saints. Let me say this to you, as a mystery... The word of God is difficult to understand. It's not only difficult to understand. It, it is difficult to understand, because it's meant to be difficult to understand. If it were not difficult to understand, it would not be a... it would not be a mystery. It's meant to be difficult to understand, so that we will dig deeper, so that we will listen harder, so that we will pursue more diligently. My wife and kids will tell you that I'm one of the worst people in the world to watch a movie with. Matter of fact, this literally happened this week. We had this conversation after I had already written my sermon, and I said to my daughters, you're in my sermon this week now. Because it literally happened this week where I said to my kids, we sat down to watch a movie, and I said, stop doing what you're doing. You're going to miss what's going to happen. You have to pay attention to every little detail. And I know that's, that's my generation. Their generation, they can play their games and they can still catch everything that's going on. But my generation, you have to pay attention to what's going on to catch the gist of the movie. You have to pay attention. You have to listen closely. You have to read in depth. You have to, you have to, to pursue understanding or else you miss it all. The same is true about the Word of God. You have to dig, you have to pursue, you have to listen to the word of God. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides you or else you will miss the whole theme of scripture. Do you ever find it weird that people can read the word of God and come out on two different ends of, a, of, uh, 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 of an answer and they, and they both come quote unquote from the word of God? Something missing there. Mystery is, is, is a great mystery. The book of Colossians is no different. It is the unfolding of a mystery. Four times in Colossians, the term mystery is used, and its parallel book, which Michael read out of this morning, is the book of Ephesians. Its parallel book, the book of Ephesians, the word mystery is used six times. If you want to take some time as we go through this study to look at the book of Ephesians side by side with Colossians, you will see the connectedness of these mysteries. My aim this morning is simple. It is to explain to you the attributes of the mystery, and these are your points if you want to write them down now. It is to explain to you the attributes of the mystery, the announcement of the mystery, and the accessing of this mystery. And the goal is that you would be able to embrace the mystery of the Word of God and that it will bring forth salvation in your life and transformation. That is truly what the mystery is meant to do. As you understand the mysteries of God's Word, you experience deliverance. And it's not just... Ron made a comment this morning when he was, when he was leading worship to the effect of how the truth changed our lives. Our lives are no longer a wreck anymore, are no longer a mess anymore, are no longer chaotic anymore because of what Christ does. Amen? And I, I looked over at my wife and I said, I wonder if that's really true. Because that's a truth, isn't it? We get that what Ron said is a truth, but when we look at our lives, is our life still chaotic? Is our life still, um, is our life still a mess? So is the power of Christ really impacting, truly impacting our, our lives? Is it impacting how we walk, how we live, how we interact, how we have relationships, how we treat our children, how we treat our, our better half? Is it really impacting us, or is it, is it just information? Because truly the mysteries of God's Word as they unfold are meant to change us. They're meant to transform us. They're meant to make us into new people so that we're not the same people anymore. And my hope is by the time we're done looking at Colossians that we will will see that. Seriously. Colossians is a powerful admonition for us to walk in light of what we know. It's not just that you know the truth, but it's that you live it. It's that you live that truth. That you walk in that truth. And so my goal this morning is to uh, explain to you what this mystery is, tell you how we hear of it, and then uh, admonish you on how you can access it. And then throughout the next few weeks, we'll unfold it for you. Colossians 4 and verse 3 says it this way, At this time, at at that same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter. He writes it from prison. Likely it is his Roman imprisonment. And he's writing to this church for an opportunity to teach the word, to explain the word. He's writing for them to pray for him so that he might have an opportunity to explain these truths and that it might transform lives. And so I'm here preaching to you this morning as a result of the Apostle Paul's imprisonment. And hopefully, it can explain to you some truths that will help you understand. So, first of all, the attributes of the mystery. What is the mystery? What is this mystery in Colossians and Ephesians? What does it mean? What does it look like? How can we understand it? The first point or the first thought underneath the attributes is all in Christ. All in Christ. All in Christ. Everything good, everything good that we have, everything necessary that we need, everything needful in our life is, is included in the person of Christ. In other words, Christ, has, Christ, is, Christ is, in His essence, everything. He's everything that we need. He's everything that's necessary for life and godliness. He is everything that is good. Christ in his, in his person In in, in like in in many ways we look at each other and we understand that each one of us has attributes and we have characteristics, and those attributes and characteristics can be good and they can be bad and, and they can be fluctuating and they're they're not perfections like they are in Christ. What we know about Christ from his word is that Christ is the essence of all things good. He is all things good. It is it is who he is, it is his person. John 6:35 says it this way, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance if you will of life. He whoever or whoever comes to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus Christ is all satisfying. He is sufficient. He is perfect. He is the perfect man, the perfect provision, the perfect protection, and the perfect nutrition. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. If you walk in darkness, you know that the way to get out of darkness is to go to the the light. Where do we find the light? Does Jesus Christ give the light, or is Jesus Christ the light of the world? He is the light of the world it is in his person in his character Jesus Christ is the life Jesus said in John 14:6 I am the way and the truth and the life if we need life not just the physical breathing that we do each day but that is also captured in Christ but life in addition to our physical life life spiritually where do we go to get that life to Christ he is our nourishment. He is called in John six the bread and the water, and as we read already, the Bible says that if we partake of his bread and we, if we partake of him as bread and we partake of him as water, we will never what We will never hunger or thirst again that's That's a pretty powerful promise, isn't it? Would we all say would we all submit this morning and and and, and say honestly, of the integrity of our hearts, that I have tasted of the water of Christ, I have tasted of the bread of Christ, and I am completely satisfied? Or would we all have to say, I have tasted of the water of life, and I have tasted of the bread of life, and for some unknown reason, I'm unsatisfied? Because the reality is this morning, we wrestle each day with being satisfied. We're complaining people. Amen? We're murmuring people. We're doubting people. It's just that that's just a reality and an honest statement of who we are. There's a problem. There's something messed up that must be fixed, and it's that maybe we haven't found the bread and the water yet. Maybe we found the bread and water and we don't understand or we haven't embraced it fully. But Jesus, the Bible says, he is the bread of life, and he makes a promise to us that anybody who takes of his bread and his water will never hunger or thirst again. When Jesus says in John, I think it's 4, with the woman at the well, when he says to her, if you drink of my water, you will never thirst again. Can you imagine if she drank of his water and walked away thirsty? What she would have thought of Christ? Do you guys think that it's possible... That the reason the world has such a low vision of Christ is because those who have drank from his cup are thirsty still. He is our nourishment. He is our righteousness. Romans chapter number 5. It is his righteousness that is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our truth. He is in his essence forgiveness. The Bible tells us that He is the substitution for our sins. He is our companion. It tells us in Hebrews that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Do we need any companions beyond Christ? Do we need any companions beyond Christ? The reality of it is we would say no because we know it's a truth but we would be not telling the truth because we pursue things, we pursue companionships at the price of Christ on a daily basis. Many of us sacrifice many things that we know are biblically true. We know our biblical call so that we can have companionship. He is our advocate. 1 John 2 we know that we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Listen to what Colossians says. If you want to follow along in your Bible, this is, it'd be great because we're gonna, I'm gonna, what I'm gonna, these next few are right out of Colossians. Colossians 1.19, Listen to what it says. For in him, for in Christ, all of the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. In Christ, all of the full, in other words, Christ is the essence of the fullness of God. He is the essence of God. He is God in the flesh. Chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3 says this, that their heart may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all hidden tre- in, whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All wisdom and all knowledge has been hidden in, in Christ. Everything has been put in. I mean, it's almost like you could have a present under the Christmas tree, right? One, one present under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, and you open it up, and there's a bike in there, and there's a car in there, and there's, I mean, there's like everything in this package. It's like one package. It's like Mary Poppins' bag. It just keeps on producing, right? And maybe that's a really bad analogy, but you kind of get the picture. It's all been packaged in Christ. Christ is the essence of everything that you could ever need or desire. He will fulfill those things for us. The devil seeks to deceive us into thinking that he will not. Look at what he says in chapter 2 and verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Chapter 3 and verse 11. Here there. Is not Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Watch this. Don't read the rest. I'm going to read just a part of it. But Christ is all. Christ is all. Everything for spiritual life, everything for salvation, everything for redemption, everything for goodness, and and all of the things that, that life and that God requires of us have been captured in a person. Christ is deliverance. Christ is, he doesn't offer these things to you, he is these things. That's why in 1 John it says, if you have the Son, you have life. Christ is these things. All of these things have been captured captured in a person. Peace is captured in Christ. He says, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. It's, It's his peace. It's his peace. It's his. So the first thing that we have to understand about this mystery is that everything has been captured in a person. Everything good, everything righteous, and everything perfect. It is all in Christ. The second principle of this mystery, or the second attribute of this mystery, is Christ in you. So we know that everything good and everything righteous and everything necessary to, to have favor with God is captured in a person. It's captured in Christ. Can we have any of those things without Christ? We can't, can we? It must come through Christ because He is the essence of these things. So the second part of the principle is is Christ must be in us. Listen to what he says in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, which is also the Spirit of Christ, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be, what's the last two words? He will be in you. This is the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ comes to live inside of them. And when the Spirit of Christ comes to live inside of them, what does he bring with him? What does Christ bring with him when he comes to live inside of you? All. Just all. Christ comes to live in you, And he brings everything with him that you need to be pleasing to God. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. Christ makes you pleasing to God on his merits and the fact that he dwells within you. Christ's indwelling spirit. And not just that, but Christ's imparting spirit. When Christ takes residence in your heart... He brings with him all of his benefits. We are made complete and mature by Christ. And it's not like we know what it looks like to be made pure pure and complete. It's not like we know where you go through training and you go through this. It's literally you are made complete and pure by the indwelling spirit of Christ. He makes you pure. Now listen to me. It's going to be very important that you stay the next few weeks and hear the rest of the message because he calls them to some extraordinary transformative lifestyles. But what he says is it's not so that you can be in favor with God. It's because you are in favor with God. It's not so that you can have the spirit of Christ living within you. It's because you have the spirit of Christ living within you. In other words, Christ has made a change inside of you that it needs to be made outside of you. This is not a, this is not a licensed book. It's literally a, a book that challenges us to walk in light of the reality that Christ lives in us and he has made us Righteous. We are complete and mature in Christ. Here we go again. Colossians. If you're following along in the book. Colossians 1 and verse 14 says this. In whom? Who is the in whom? In whom? In Christ. We have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. In other words... Let's describe the gift. Inside of this gift is redemption. Inside of the gift, for God so loved the world that he gave eternal life. Is that what it says? It says that God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in whom is eternal life. In whom is eternal redemption, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Skip down to verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. The mystery is all of the things that Christ represents all of the things that Christ accomplished, all of the things that Christ has done, all of the essence of Christ's person, his deity, his divine nature, all of those things, the mystery is that all of those things are in him and he is in you. Colossians 2 and verse 9 and 10 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. In him all of the things dwell. And you are full because he is in you. It says who is the head of all rule and authority. Chapter 3 and verse 3 says for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then Colossians 3.11, Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. Christ is everything. Everything that you need spiritually for life, everything that you desire spiritually for life, everything from redemption, salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, Christ is all of these things for us. He doesn't offer all of these things to us. You see, there's a lot of people in our world today that want all of the benefits of Christ without having Christ. They want to enjoy justification. They would love to have the all the benefits of happiness and joy and peace within and all of those things without having Christ and so they pursue it in all of the wrong ways just like we talked about Jacob a few last last week possibly was it last week <laughs> I know we talked about him recently <laughs> yes the deceiver but he sought he sought all the blessings of Christ he had all the benefits of, the, of a relationship with God without ever having a relationship with God. And it even seemed like in Jacob's life that he had captured them all, didn't it? It seemed like he had gotten everything that he wanted. And you know what he was missing? In the, and he had all the external things going, but what Jacob was missing was all the internal turmoil was still there. And we're not going to go back to Jacob. Christ is all and in all. So the mystery is simply, Christ is everything, and Christ is in believers. And it says all here. It's not referring to every individual. It's referring to a specific group of individuals. And as we unfold the book, we'll see that unfold. It is Christ in individuals. And Christ changes individuals. Christ trans... Listen, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in... If any, say that again. If any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things are passed away behold everything has become new right because of whom because of Christ he is the essence of these things so you have Christ Is or all in Christ. Everything that we need in this life is in Christ. Christ is in everyone who believes. Christ promises to enter into your world, enter into your life if you will believe and embrace Him. The third principle to this truth really captures the concept of, I think, really the meaning of this book is simply this you in the church. You see, that's what this book is really about. It's about how do we function in the church? How do we live in the church? How do we act in the church? How do we treat each other in the church? You see, Christ is everything. Christ is now in you, and Christ wants to be living through you. Christ wants to be coming on the outside of you, and that's why he set up the church so that we could interact together in such a way as to manifest the, the reality of the Christ in us and that Christ is everything. Right? That's what the church is for. The church is to manifest the glory of Christ. And it's to show the world how satisfying Christ is, or to show the world how dissatisfying Christ is, as many churches do today. You in the church. Christ works through you in his church. Your giftedness accomplishes his purposes. And it is your, it is his working in you that produces fruit. And this fruit is seen throughout this book of Colossians. Colossians 1.13, if you're following along again, it says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his beloved son in the New Testament is none other than the, it's the church. He has transferred us by his indwelling spirit into a new relationship with God that's manifested through our relationships in the church. One of the unique things that you'll find in the book of Colossians is you'll find much familial terms. Terms. Father, son, brother. Brother is used over and over again throughout the book. It's describing, it's not describing that these people were brothers, like yeah, we have the same mom and dad. What's it describing? It's describing the church. We're brothers and sisters. Sometimes I'll call somebody a brother. I, it's, I grew up doing that. I know it's kind of weird today, and you might feel weird when I do it, but it's, really it's because I couldn't remember your name in the moment, so I said Brother. <laughs> Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes that is true, but for the most part, it's just something that kind of comes out. But we're, we're brothers and sisters. How are we brothers and sisters? How in, the world is it, how in the world can two people born from two different parents become brothers and sisters? Because Christ in me and Christ in you. And now we are Brothers and sisters. Colossians 1 says this now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my and in my flesh I am filling up all what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church. So we're the body of Christ, which means which means where is Christ? He's in us. His presence in us, and we are his body. And we work out, you know, the, the, the song that I think there's a song out there, We are his hands, we are his feet, and we accomplish his works. That is Christ in us in the church and through the church. So, Christ in the mystery is simple Christ is everything, Christ is in you, and you're in the church. That's the mystery. And then there are some products of that, and we'll look at those throughout the the, the next several weeks. Let, let's look number two, and if for, for time's sake, I won't read this. But um, Colossians three fifteen through seventeen is um, again just confirms the uh, the fact that we are put into the church as a representation of Christ or the body of Christ. The second thing is the announcement of this mystery. Where do we hear about this mystery? How do we understand this mystery? The mystery is exposed to us in the gospel. In the word of God, the, the gospel of Christ, has been given to us so that we can understand this mystery. It, it, it is literally the gospel explained and understood. It is proclaimed in the gospel. The gospel is simple that we the, the gospel is simply that we benefit from having Christ. That is the gospel. When you think about the death, resurrection, and the, the death and resurrection of Christ, that, that is the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, that this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by 500. That is, that is the gospel, Right? That is the gospel of Christ. And what that is and what that means is that once Christ is in you, once Christ indwells you, all of the things that he accomplished become yours. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. His life becomes your life. His power becomes your power. When Christ lives in you, all of the benefits of having of the person of Christ come to live inside of you. That is the gospel. The gospel isn't that you bring something to the table and make an exchange with God. You give him this and he gives you this and you you kind of meet in the middle and it's, it's all good. The gospel is that Christ and everything that he has accomplished and everything that he does becomes credited to you on the basis of the fact that he lives inside of you. So really when God blesses his children, when God honors his children, when God rewards his children, What is he seeing about his children that makes him do all of those things? What's he seeing? Christ. He loves Christ. God loves Christ. And because Christ is in every believer's heart, God loves you. She, you never think that God loves us because we bring some kind of a value to the table. God loves us because of Christ in us. This will humble us, right? Because we often want to think of how great we are, and therefore God loves us. God couldn't do without us, right? Right? Well, that's the that's not biblical theology. God could do without us. He loves us because of because of Christ. He blesses us because of Christ. His death becomes our death, his resurrection our resurrection, his life our life, his reward and his inheritance become our reward and our inheritance. The Bible even says that we are co inheritors with Christ. How do we become co inheritors with Christ? Is, Christ is, God, is, is God the Father Christ's Father? Is He? Is the Father Christ's Father? Yes. I'm not getting a lot of response here, so you probably think I'm asking a question that's. No, it's not a trick question. <laughs> God the Father is Christ's Father. So that means as an inheritor, Christ is an inheritor, whose inheritance does he have? He has God's inheritance. And if we are co-heirs with him, whose inheritance do we have? We have God's inheritance on the basis of Christ. That's the mystery. That's the mystery of the entire Bible is that Christ accomplished everything necessary for the redemption of man. Might I say this to you? Christ in his person is the redemption of man. He is the redemption of man. You say, well, Pastor John, why do other people get redeemed? If Christ is the redemption of man, why is there redemption for us? Because Christ offers it to us by having him in us. 1 John 5 and verse 12, Whoever has the Son hath life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Colossians one twenty three says it this way, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We hear this mystery in the gospel, and then let me just say this secondarily to the gospel, it's in the world. The gospel message is a worldwide message. It's meant for everyone. This is the only message that can bring... Christ is the only one that was able to accomplish redemption for mankind. Do we believe that? That in Christ is redemption. So is there any other way for us to get redemption? If Christ is the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God and bring redemption to a fallen world, then is there any way to get redemption without getting Christ? Is there? I want to talk to you after if you know another way. And I will imagine that there will be no one in my office afterwards wanting to talk about that. There's only one way to be in favor with God. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life... And he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, that's a reality. That's a truth. I mean, there are religions out there today. Listen to me. And, I, and some of you have been involved in these religions. And some of you still and still, maybe even be, be, pl- be playing with them. There are religions that teach that you can come to God on your own merits. It is a lie. There is only one way to God. And there is only one person that satisfied that way. And anybody that tries to come to God on their own merits will be rejected by him and eternally condemned. But there is a great free gift. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to have Christ to have eternal life. There is no other way. And Satan is being deceptive to try to get us to believe that there is. Acts 1.12 says this, For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Christ. The last thought of the morning is accessing this mystery. How do we assess the truth of this mystery? We know that they come through the gospel. the gospel. The gospel is the truth of God's word, of the work of Christ, of his accomplishments for us. They are to be preached in all the world, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go into all the world and make disciples. But now, listen, now how do they become a reality for us? All these are great truths, but how how do I benefit from them, right? How do I get these truths to be personal for me? How does the gospel, how does the mystery of Christ become a reality for me? And I want you to know this. The the mystery of God's word is not a reality for everyone. The mystery of God's word is not a reality for everyone. It is only a reality to those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. And that brings us to our final thought of accessing is simply... The gospel mystery is is accessed by faith. It is believing, trusting, and acting upon Christ that takes this mystery and makes it into a reality. It is believing, trusting, and acting on Christ that takes this mystery and makes it into a reality. Colossians 1.4 says this, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Their faith in Christ Jesus was the accessing of this mystery. And their love for the saints was their acting upon this mystery. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which I have been, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That faith, faith is what brings us into the mystery. And I want to say this to you. It's not understanding that brings you into the mystery It's faith that brings you into the mystery, and it's faith that brings you into understanding. The world will tell you, let me understand, and I will believe. The Lord will tell you, believe, and I will let you understand. I I will assure you this morning, if you will give your heart to Christ if you will embrace him as your Lord and Savior and you will commit yourself to him, your life will change and it will change for the good. It won't be easy. It never is easy. But it will change for the good. And you will look back on this day, one day into the future, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you will look back on this day and you will say, Thank God I placed my faith in Christ. but if you turn your back on Christ and you say, I'm going to find my own way, I'm going to find an alternative way, Hebrews 10 says, those who continue to walk in sin after hearing the truth, there remains no sacrifice for their sins. In other words, when you reject the gospel and determine your own way, there is no hope for you. There is only one hope and that hope is a person. And that person is the way, the truth, and the life. And that person is redemption. And that person is grace. And that person is goodness. And it is by having that person that you have all of the things that that person brings. It's almost like a marriage, isn't it? When you get married, you all of a sudden you become a part of another person. And you benefit from all of the things that they bring to the table, Right? And then you also have to deal with all the things that they bring to the table, right? In marriage, it's two imperfect people coming together. With Christ, it's, it's all benefit. It's all benefit and blessing. Colossians 2, verses 5 through 7, Apostle Paul says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith that is in Christ. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. First John, or John 1 John 1.12 says this, but all who, would, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become the children of God. The rest of the book of Colossians flows from these truths. It is a mystery that will be unfolded until we reach heaven and will continue to be unfolded. But this morning we need to understand this, that everything is in Christ. And if you're a believer, Christ is in you. And he has placed you in this church this morning to to live out that reality. If you're here with us this morning and you're not a follower of Christ and you've never embraced him as your Lord and Savior, and you know that, I'm not talking about an intellectual consent. I'm not talking about the fact that you might know the truth in your mind. I'm literally talking about the fact that you have poured your heart into Christ, that he is everything to you, that you have embraced him for your daily needs. You've embraced him as your, as your redemption, as your, ner- you've embraced him in all ways. Christ is everything. You believe that? If you're here and you haven't embraced that, my encouragement to you is that you embrace that truth. You say, Pastor John, I don't understand it. Well, good, I'm glad to hear that. Join the club, right? But you can still partake in it. You can still believe it to be true. And as you start to walk in it, I believe that God will give you understanding of it. If you are here this morning trusting in Christ as your Savior, know this, that he lives within you and that he has brought with him all of the benefits of himself so that he might set your feet upon a rock and use you as an example in his kingdom and for his glory of who he is. That we might walk as he walked. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the understanding that you do give. And, and like all mysteries, Lord, we're meant to dive deeper. We're meant to pursue more, to listen better, to read more closely, to seek to understand the truths that you have provided for us. I pray that if there's someone here today that has yet to see you as everything, everything, Maybe they've added something to it, some kind of a self-righteousness or a self-goodness. I pray, dear God, that they would forsake those things this morning and that they would embrace the fact that everything that is required for us to be in harmony with God, with you, Lord God, is found in a person. That they might, by faith, embrace that truth and let it transform them. For those of us, Lord God, that, Lord, have embraced these truths, help us to live in light of them, to live boldly, to live freely, to live sacrificially, and to live to bring you the glory. We love you this morning. Thank you for making us a part of your family in Christ's name.